back in the day, it used to be like rest, be in a cocoon, don't do anything for this arbitrary, you know, two week time and then come out to the world. But we're now realizing that's not really the recommended approach. This is TBI, Talking Brain Injury, with Brain Injury Alliance Colorado, sharing stories from TBI survivors and their supporters from all across the state. My name's Phil Lindemann, a mentor with BX since 2019 and four-time recipient of brain injuries I don't even remember, plus a whole bunch I might be sore to do remember. Today I hear from Melissa Volkert, an occupational therapist in my hometown of Summit County, Colorado, Ski Country, USA. Every day, Melissa works with mountain town locals, young and old, recovering from injuries suffered on and off the slopes. Some are high-level athletes, others are weekend warriors, but all of them want to keep on doing what they love after a brain injury. As an OT, Melissa treats TBI outside of the brain, looking at ways your environment, lifestyle, and even your mindset can help or hinder recovery. She also advocates for better understanding in the medical community, introducing neurologists, physicians, and other therapists to TBI survivors through a support group at St. Anthony's Summit Medical Center. Melissa shares the latest in TBI science, plus the questions you should ask an occupational therapist. And as always, contact your doctor with questions about your unique injury. Welcome to TBI, Talking Brain Injury with Brain Injury Alliance Colorado, and I'm your host, Phil Lindemann, sitting here in my hometown of Summit County, Colorado, with one of my uh, neighbors right here in Frisco, Colorado, Melissa Volkert. She's an OT, occupational therapist at Avalanche Physical Therapy. And Melissa, I know you from my time in the clinic. Yes, we've known each other a while. (laughs) Uh, It's been, well, because I'm trying to think. I blew my knee out snowboarding, Mm -hmm. and your husband was actually my PT. It's now a family affair. (laughs) That's how it works up here in the mountains, right? (laughs) And um, tell me about your background there at Avalanche and, and the difference between an OT and what your husband does as a PT. We moved up here in 2011, so I've been with Avalanche ever since. And he, physical therapy is probably more well-known up here, especially with so many orthopedic injuries. Uh, they are really focused on mobility. So whether that's moving a joint, your muscles, getting back to um, regular movements, whether it's walking, running, going up the stairs, doing sports. Occupational therapy is different because we use the term occupation as not just your type of employment. It's really an occupation as any activity you do in your daily life that's important to you. So as we grow old, we have different occupations. Children, their main occupations are learning how to do, um, you know, basic like getting dressed and tying their shoes, but it's also school, making friends, learning sports. And then as we grow older, our occupations change for going to college, working, driving. So it's really activity focused and OTs are experts in like analyzing an activity and breaking down all those little steps on the physical demands, the cognitive demands, the emotional demands and really trying to strategize with patients on how to be the best they can be. And I think a lot of people are like me, their experience with an OT is, um, well, when I broke my arm once, um, OT was the one that was helping me with my hand and arm rehab, you know, making sure that I could go back to holding a pencil and typing and, and stuff like that. Right. So a lot of our occupations are hand focused. So that's where I think in a traditional sense, a lot of OTs, um, kind of get, put into the upper extremity rehab and then PTs get 
put in the lower extremity rehab. Yeah. Uh, and being up here in the mountains, you have kind of taken on a unique niche with your OT because of, well, people hit their heads a lot <laughs> up here in the mountains. There's, there's some stat. I could be wrong on this. But uh, TBI is the leading cause of why somebody goes to the hospital here in Summit County. Yeah, we, um, the hospital, so I work in half of the hospital setting half the day and then half in an outpatient setting. And yeah, between the emergency room and all the mountain clinics, they see about 2,000 head injuries a year. Yeah, it's the most common diagnosis. Yeah, lots of people bumping their heads. And how does being an OT fit into, well, how have you kind of adapted what you do to brain injury and what you're seeing every day? Right. So, you know, it began when we were in the hospital about 10 years ago and we were, the therapy department was kind of getting more aware that when someone has such a high impact injury, say from skiing or motor vehicle accident, and the impact is high enough to break a bone, their femur, their back, the person probably also hit their heads. So we kind of initiated this effort to really increase our vigilance um, in terms of questioning more the patient, not just did you hit your head, yes or no? Did you lose consciousness, yes or no? But really getting into could they, are they presenting like they had a head injury? And what's complicated about that is that there are so many factors, right? Like when you when you break a bone, we need to like make sure you're medically stable and stop the bleeding and fix the bone. But symptoms might arise later, like um, confusion that's not quite explained by the amount of pain medicine or anesthesia, like post-surgery anesthesia. Um, disorientation, maybe not the full recall of the event. Um, so we kind of took like this very nuanced approach and then really did some more objective testing. And again, we knew that um, someone's performance post-surgery, if they're in pain or on pain meds, that could also affect it. But it can't hurt to really just bring up early on if they think they had a concussion and giving them the proper education on what are the signs and symptoms to look out for as they leave the hospital. Because we don't get to see most of the patients when they leave. They're going off and traveling back to their hometown. So really giving them that education, questions to follow up with their doctors. And then if we really suspect a concussion, you know, obviously we would talk back with the, the doctors too and getting that diagnosis. Yeah. And I think of, you know, the time again, uh, that injury that sent me eventually to go see your husband in the clinic. Um, the doctor, one of the first things that they had for me was, of course, you hit your head at the same time, too. And that one, I, I very specifically knew that I did not hit my head mm -hmm. because, uh, you know, I was still um, I was still with it. I still knew all that stuff. You know, I didn't have any of the symptoms of brain injury. And I, I just knew that I hadn't done it. I also had two people with me that I went to the clinic with, you know, at the base of the ski hill. They were like, no, nah, he didn't hit his head. Nothing happened. Um, just really blew his knee out real bad. And, and so it's like you said, taking some of those basic standard questions that you always ask and just expanding on them and letting people know maybe this is what you should look for because unlike me, maybe there's not a witness to what happened or somebody did hit their head, but they don't think that they hit their head or they can't remember. And so just lots of these unknowns that as a, somebody in the clinic, you've got to, got to give them all the, I guess, tools that they possibly would maybe need um, to cover all their bases. Yeah, definitely. Um, and what 
the research is just exploding right now, you know, in the past 10 years. So we're realizing you can have a head injury without impacting your head. You can impact your body and your brain is still moving around in your skull. And we know now that when the brain gets those acceleration forces and the impact forces, it pulls on those neurons, causing them to release the chemicals that they're not supposed to release at that time. And we now know a concussion really is a biochemical injury. It's, they call it a neurometabolic cascade. So it's something we can't see, something we don't have tests for. Um, you know, we can't take a blood test. It's not gonna come out of injury. So it's really just a clinical presentation. And I think that's what's been, A, the hesitation to really get a diagnosis because the provider is like, I'm not sure. But it just seems helpful just to give people that information on just what to look out for. I guess, tell me about some examples or, or when you realized that this was gonna be the most uh, unimportant addition to your practice. When did you start thinking, I, I gotta add this in? Yeah, I think, you know, when we're seeing patients who are like, I should be healed now, like why my orthopedic injury is is healed, I'm walking, I look good, but why am I still struggling at home, at work, I can't stay focused, my work performance is suffering, my emotions are different, and thankfully I came from before I came here, I worked in an inpatient rehabilitation center in Colorado Springs where I did work with the people who are just had like big spinal cord injuries and strokes. So it was always kind of on my mind and I felt that it was important to add that to our outpatient practice at Avalanche that um, the PTs can continue working with people with orthopedic injury. And then for me, I'm also just really delving into exactly what OTs do, really delve in what are their activities they need to do, what are their roles, do they need to be a parent, a caregiver, an employee, like, and let's try to problem solve um, how they can not have these continued difficulties. Melissa, I think I'm going to ask you for some free medical advice. So say I came into your clinic, you know, I was a snowboarder, right? And I, um, oh, I had uh, broken a collarbone, you know, one of those standard injuries with lots of snowboarders, broken a collarbone, but maybe also hit my head, wasn't too sure, but didn't hit it so hard that, you know, I lost consciousness or whatever. So after I've rehabbed the collarbone, I'm still just not feeling good. And I've got one of those classic symptoms of head trauma, headache that awful headache that just won't go away and I got light sensitivity and maybe I can't even look at the computer screen for longer than 20 minutes at a time. Um, as an OT, what could you do to help me get back to, well, being able to, to, to do my job, you know, look at the screens and go outside and, and, and all that other stuff. Right. So again, a detailed list of your symptoms, what you do every day, like what, what's your morning like, what is your job like, how you um, approach kind of the harder stuff versus the easier stuff. Is it physical? How cognitive is? And then really looking at your system. So for me, I, um, I'm very grateful to have um, some vision specialty from my time in inpatient rehab. So I take a very good close at your vision. It's not just your cuties, like do you have 20-20 eyesight? It's how strong are your eye muscles? How well do they work together? so that you can read efficiently. So oftentimes with brain injury, we because maybe you impacted one side of your head, your eyeball muscles get affected too. So one eyeball could be just 
a little bit weaker, and then having to work extra hard to work together to read. So that could be causing a headache. Um, we also look at your balance and your body sense because when our, our sense of our where we are in space has to do with our eyes, has to do with kind of that body, like you know if you're standing on sand or pavement. Like if your eyes are closed, you can tell that, but sometimes that system's off. And then the other system is your vestibular system of your inner ear, which gives you input on your sense of rotation and acceleration. So if any of those systems are off and your body's working extra hard to keep it all together, that could be causing the headache too. And then we have to look at, I look at your cognition. So what is your attention to the task? When do you start fading? How are you remembering what you need to remember to do? And are there, are there breakdowns there? And then I would also send you to physical therapy because then what if you had the whiplash, um, cervical instability, you know, shoulder tightness. So headache, which is such a common symptom, could be so many things. <laughs> yeah, seriously, it, it, it's, it's a giant mix of, uh, like you were saying, so many things that it could be. But as an OT, you're hoping to look and at I all the things and par it down to what it actually mm -hmm. could be. Um, so, so say somebody does you know, come to an OT, what kind of questions can they be asking? Should they just tell the OT, hey, I think I might have had a brain injury. What should I be doing? What can I be doing? Yeah, oh, definitely. Um, to have that awareness of something's not right and then to really be able to give me details of what tasks are particularly helpful. Um, what are potential triggers? Like I'm just being the person's sounding board. And we really, what I enjoy about it, it's very collaborative because the person is the expert of their own life, right? I don't know how they go about their day, but I'm just there to ask those questions of, is there something you're doing um, or sequencing your day or is it potentially vision or posture or stress or diet, sleep, we get into all those foundational. So um, pretty much we don't leave anything uncovered. <laughs> anything. Yeah. And, and you can't, because like you said, it could be any number of things, a million zillion different things is what it feels like sometimes. But um, the more you dig down into it, the more likely you are to actually find, you know, what could be the solution and what could be causing the problem. Right. And that's a big part of treatment is really building self-awareness, right? Because we can't monitor ourselves if we aren't aware of ourselves. So I teach how, what are some strategies we can in the moment to identify how stimulated, how symptomatic we are. So that's the hard part in the moment. Out here, we hustle and people tend to work or do something all in and they work until they hit the wall. Yeah. But then they're like in incapacitated for the next day. So we have to say, okay, can you tell me when you are, say, like a three out of six severity versus a six out of six? Because a six out of six, we're not functional anymore. So it's really taking on, can we build that self-awareness then then that allows us to manage ourselves and make choices for ourselves and then anticipate the activities that might trigger us or that might be more difficult and come up with a strategy to A, avoid it or modify it or have an exit plan. Yeah, the whole idea of power through the pain uh, doesn't always work. And sometimes it can maybe even make it worse. Right, exactly. Um, 
it's not more pain, no gain. It's definitely, you know, we touched in your previous, it's a marathon, but it's more like pacing. Pacing, conserving, quitting while we're ahead. But that doesn't sit well with a lot of people. So a lot of people are like, well, I need to do these things. I need to be productive. I, I should be able to do these. And they create all these almost extra pressures on, on themselves because we have, we have an idea of what we could do before injury. And it's really hard to be kind to ourselves and patient with ourselves and allow ourselves for time. And I've talked on this podcast a lot with a lot of different people about the invisible injury, how head injury is, you know, kind of that injury that you can't see. Well, the recovery is also a little bit trickier, too, because you can't see it and you can't quite feel it the same way as, like, say, like, oh, a leg muscle. Like, I've interviewed athletes in the past, you know, when I was sports editor over at the Summit Daily, um, guys who were kind of debilitated for entire seasons or maybe even multiple seasons by, um, you know, stress injuries, repetitive injuries that they had. Uh, you know, whether it was tendonitis or maybe something that was um, in an ankle that they were feeling all the way up in the hip, but they kept training through it. They kept racing through it even in mm-hmm. some cases because they felt like, you know, if I just train harder, it's because I'm not strong enough. It's because I just, my body isn't ready, but if I keep training, it will get better. Well, and that training made it worse. And then on top of it, uh, the fact that they just were not giving their body any rest whatsoever to maybe deal with this injury that they had, then they were dealing with something years down the road that they were like, I should have stopped three years ago and helped it out. Like one endurance runner in particular is coming to mind that he just got back out and was racing and running again. And he's feeling great about life because he finally realized that something he thought was in his legs was actually a low back issue. And so he finally gave himself the time to rest and cure that low back issue. And now boom, the leg pain's gone. Oh, well. Right. And it's the same with the brain, right? Because we, we, we have a hard time thinking of the brain as a, a muscle. And the same thing with the eyes, like as you were saying, like even your eyes can get off a little bit. You have a hard time thinking of those things as muscles, but just like your legs and just like your arms, they're muscles and they need some rest sometimes. Right. And this is the challenging and nuanced part of of brain recovery is that back in the day, it used to be like rest, be in a cocoon, don't do anything for this arbitrary, you know, two week time and then come out to the world. But we're now realizing that's not really the recommended approach. Like we want, yes, rest, but can we reintegrate in a gradual stepwise approach? It's not this all or nothing. Like you're not gonna come out of the cocoon necessarily and feel perfect. Um, Some people do, but a lot of people, they've like rested, 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 and then all of a sudden they come out to work or school and they can't handle it's too much so we're really trying to um that's that's my role is really getting people into a plan and that self-awareness and what's hard is we don't rest really well out here like that is probably the worst yeah, especially summit county <laughs> yeah. nobody rests nobody takes a minute off right yeah right right so it's it's a challenge i love when people are super motivated but it's that you're gonna give someone an inch they'll take a mile yeah. um but you know we have to but keeping moving is good but and like exercise is good to recover even in the early stages but it has to be in a uh, gradual and it's hard to be gradual we're very all or nothing 
Yeah, especially when people want to get back to what they enjoy and what they do. You know, I think of the times that I've been through PT, and um, I think I often pushed it a little too hard because I was like, well, not only do I want to get back right now or yesterday, (laughs) I want to be back stronger than I was when I started. And um, the first time that I went through rehab, you know, for my for for my biggest injury, the one that gave me you know my my probably most serious head injury that I had. I ran into a tree on a snowboard, broke a leg, broke an arm, and I was so nervous that I was never going to snowboard ever again or that I was never going to do it the way that I like to do it. And I took it relatively easy, and I ramped it up the right way with the right you know group of people and listened mm-hmm. to exactly what the PT and OT had to tell me. And um, I'll never forget how I came back to the next season I was able to ride feeling better and stronger and honestly more with it than I ever had before too, able to do some stuff that I hadn't do. I could touch my toes suddenly. <laughs> The weirdest, the, the weirdest upside of that whole injury was that for my entire life, I could hardly even touch my toes. And then something about the work I was doing. Yeah. Suddenly I could touch my toes. D- do you see that with people too? When, when they take things the right way and pace things out the right way that they actually come back better, stronger than they ever thought. Yeah. I mean, a lot of them, a lot of what I'm teaching are just life skills, right? Creating healthy boundaries for yourself. Um, and yeah, I agree. I think people can take the strategies that they've learned in rehab, that self-awareness, then the self-management, and then the ki- being kind and patient. And that's, that's lifelong strategies, right? Um, and I was curious for you, when you came back, did you also have a stronger sense of not safety, but kind of your like what you could safely do or what you could, what you would want to push yourself to do? I definitely calculate my risks more than before. Yeah, exactly. That is for sure. Um, and a lot of it is because, first of all, I don't want to have to go through it again. Mm-hmm. And then second of all, too, I realize that if I take the time to calculate just a little bit more, I'm able to actually, you know, do some of those things that I still want to do, but in a way that's a little bit more, you know, I think of like snowboarding. Um I'm able to, to uh, oh, do terrain and sometimes hit features that I wasn't able to do before because maybe I just threw myself into it without thinking twice about what I was right. doing. Uh, now I'm like, all right, well, if I'm going to do this, i got to do it smart. Right, and like actually figure out what is my progression. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And, and, and kids these days, I love it too. Like, you know, I think of like, oh, uh, up at Woodward Copper, they do such a great job with progression is like the name of the game. Even the way that they set up the mountain is progressive, you know, right. from west to east. They've got, you know, beginner to intermediate to mm-hmm. expert stuff. The train parks are set up that way. The barn with the foam pits. I mean, a foam pit is, you know, probably the biggest thing so for safe. progression for so many athletes these right. days. And uh, it's it's cool how that's getting ingrained, especially in younger kids' minds, because it doesn't mean they have to relearn it. It just means they learned it right the first way Yeah. to begin oh, with. Oh, yeah, definitely. And to know... That there is a, syst- a, a sequence to go. I, I think before we had all that great, you know, all the great technology and the, and the equipment, you know, because skiing up here, mountain biking, it's such an individual sport. So you look at the person next to you and you compare yourself, right? It's, it's natural. And then you look at a person who's doing a trick or something well, and you're like, oh, they're making it look easy. I can go do that. But I think out here, I hope that we are instilling in the youth like yeah the person made it look easy because they practiced it in a sequence that 
make sense and you build this foundation, you just don't just jump off on the hardest trick and hope to land it. I think the coaches here are um, so well trained in understanding that progression too and really um, not putting that pressure on kids to be like, oh, you can do it, just go. You know, it's very thoughtful, I feel like. Yeah, and I think, um, oh, a movie that made a big impact on me was uh, with Kevin Pierce, The Crash Reel. Have you ever seen that? Yes. Yeah. Um, we actually hosted Kevin. Oh, did you? Right back when the movie first came out, our hospital, we hosted a screening, and he came and talked to our community yeah. Yeah. And it, I just really enjoyed that movie because, you know, for Kevin Pierce, for you folks that aren't nerds about snowboarding like I am, um, he was neck and neck with Sean White for a very long yes. time. The two of them grew up together, progressed together. They were on the same path. When Sean White was losing, he was losing to Kevin more often than not. Mm-hmm. And then Kevin had a devastating training accident. Mm-hmm. One of those things where he was progressing up to a bigger and bigger trick, progressing up. And, you know, this was only, what, 10, 15 years ago at this point before really the prevalence of airbags and foam pits and yet yeah, he went straight almost 25 feet mm-hmm. to his the back of his neck to his head to his spine mm-hmm. wasn't expected to live or walk or snowboard or any of these things again and he admits too that he's not he will never be where he was but um it's shown a light on the fact that, uh, you know, these sports, they push people, like you said, because they're seeing somebody do it to keep on pushing it and pushing it and sometimes maybe not even do it the safest mm-hmm. way. Right. Um, and I don't think that he was doing anything unsafe. It was just the yeah. size of the sport and the trick was just getting so big that there had to be an extra layer of safety at some point. I think that's why airbags and mm-hmm. foam pits and all that other stuff are getting so yeah. common is because right. if we keep pushing it bigger, Right, the equipment's getting so yeah. good. It's allowing people, maybe with lesser experience, to go bigger, faster, more aggressive. And while I love that for the sport, we also have to adjust ourselves and how we make choices for ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like you were saying, all those life skills that, you, that, that don't seem like they have anything to do with sport or brain injury recovery, um, well, they do have something to do with it mm-hmm. because it's just... It's just good habits to get into. Uh, when you hosted Kevin, um, you remember anything particular about uh, what he had to say? Because I remember I saw him in a screening, too, over in Beaver Creek. Yes. We, we went over to Beaver Creek, and then we hosted him in Breckenridge. And he was he's just so inspirational and amazing, um, kind of really, and loves the sport, and had a really hard rehab, but I think always found kind of the making lemonade out of lemons, uh-huh. making the film. And then now he has uh, an organization, um, Love Your Brain, yeah. which is getting just huge and really taking in the mindfulness and the mental health aspect. And they do brain injury specific yoga. So I just remember seeing him and just being like, I know you're going to have, s- you have so much more. And I think that just lends itself to one of the main messages when I work with patients, when I talk to kids in the community, is really just thinking your identity and sense of self and self-value is more than your performance in the sport, right? Like so many people get defined by what they do and how well they do it, but you're more than that. You have values of certain passions and 
things you care about that aren't necessarily defined by that. And that's a really hard thing, you know, something to get over or reconcile or cope with. Yeah, and I was struck, too, by his um, support system, the fact that he had a very strong support system, you know, loving family, but also good friends, good people around him. And um, and I know that for a lot of people, when they go through injury, rehab, recovery, whether it's brain or anything else, um, sometimes you, you, you want to get in that cocoon where you you just don't feel like being around anybody else. It's hard to interact. Um but uh, Kevin, to me, it seemed like he did a good job of um, leaning on his support system, you know, mm-hmm. maybe pushing his pride aside for a second and realizing that, you know, you do need help when you're coming back from something like this. And that support system went so, so far for him. Like um, the moment in the movie that stands out to me is when he did get back on a snowboard. You know, he was with the Burton crew in Vail. Yeah. And yeah, he could ride the snowboard. He definitely could not even ollie the six-inch pole that yes. everybody else yeah. was jumping over. He just couldn't get the timing down right. right. But he was laughing and joking around with them. And, you know, and then all his other pro buddies were out they're doing what pros do best and you know going crazy on this you know just pole jump that they were doing um but he was still having a blast because he was hanging with friends hanging with the community the people that he was he was all about and i think it's you can't overlook the importance of um yeah going easy on yourself and leaning on people that right they care about you and this is like we talked about in your podcast before like this is an invisible injury it's very lonely right you look good you're walking well you're perhaps even driving and people are like amazed at all that you can do but when you feel like you're not yourself inside that's so isolating and lonely so what I really enjoy about I facilitate the Summit County Brain Injury Support Group Mm. and It's just this judgment-free, safe zone. Everyone gets it. No one has to go in there and explain themselves or, like, apologize for, I can't get my words, or I'm sorry, I've got to leave and take a break, or I'm feeling emotional. There's Everyone gets it. And that's what's neat is that then when you just kind of get over the fact that everyone else has experienced similar things, then you can really get into sharing those experiences and even just getting feeling more vulnerable and sharing your experiences and even um, offering advice to others you know it's that power of the peer and you I love that you do a peer peer group as well because as a healthcare professional I don't know all the answers and it's much more powerful I think coming from someone who's been through it to we could be giving the same message but it's much more powerful from a peer. Yeah, and I think that's one of the biggest benefits of uh, having peer support is, like you said, people that get it, understand it, they've been there. Maybe it's not the exact same situation, but um, y'all kind of know what you're going through. So instead of wondering, does this person know what I'm dealing with or does this person think blah, 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 whatever about me, um, sure, it doesn't matter what they think about you because they're there dealing with their own thing. Exactly. So they can do it. And along with the brain injury support group, because I've been out to that a handful of times, we do all sorts of fun stuff. I mean, it's it reminds me of like some of the BIAC meetups. We had uh, some gardening. Mm-hmm. Um, we've also done, you know, like just hikes up to some of the trails around town. We, yeah. we go cross-country skiing every single winter, yeah. which is one of the best ones. I love that one because there's one of the members of our group that on cross-country skis, he finds his feet again. Yeah. It's crazy. It's It's incredible to see that. Yeah, I kind of think of the group as three three main purposes. One is to provide that socialization, right? That that we just talked about, you know, sharing stories, just being together. 
So in that we've done hikes, we've done the Nordic skiing, we've gone out to movies, go to restaurants. And then the next purpose is I really want to invite speakers, professionals to the group to really share their expertise on how they can help reduce brain injury symptoms. So we've hosted sleep scientists, dietitians, optometrists, physical therapists that talk about headaches, physicians, and I like that part because it's a both, it's a mutually uh, beneficial because not only does do the participants receive the information of, oh, I can actually get help for my sleep and insomnia, but it also allows the professional to realize what are the needs and really talk to the population of, oh, like I need to increase my knowledge on how brain injury affects sleep or the visual impairments that can be caused from brain injury. So I like that, I feel empowering on, on both ends. And then the third purpose is we, as a group, want to explore those restorative and calming strategies that can help with our symptoms. So we've done yoga, meditation, mindfulness, um, sound therapy, art therapy, music therapy. So we want to explore those together and just see, you know, you know, one thing might not work for one person, but you know, maybe it works for another person. And it's always harder to do it on your own because we always say, oh, once I have time, I'll I'll look into that you know, app that allow you know, gives me a guided meditation. But if it's like done as a group, we're we're more likely to to try it. Oh, I can fully attest to that one. That is for sure. Doing it with even one other person right. is way easier to do than making your convincing yourself to do it. Right. Um, and I like that too. That uh, you know, bring the professionals in not only to help the group but also so the professionals can see. All right, this is what I need to do to expand my knowledge. And that was one question I had for you. What have you found yourself doing or looking into? You know, I guess even in recent weeks or months or past year, um, that was inspired by some people you've been working with. What are some new knowledge that you've come across? Well, I'm thrilled about um, Colorado Sleep Institute, which I hope you'll get them on your um, podcast, because sleep, especially in high altitude, is just the foundation for good functioning, right? Helps our cognition, helps our energy, our moods. So I'm so thrilled because they they can work with people who have had brain injuries. And we're learning in research that a brain injury can cause or lead to sleep disturbances like central sleep apnea. So if we can get through that diagnostic phase a little bit faster and get people the proper treatment faster, then hopefully people's uh, symptoms won't last as long. So sleep is a relatively new um, area that I'm, I just bring up with every single person. Vision has always been, when I first got here, I kind of met with all the optometrists and kind of see who has that extra experience working with brain injury. Um, I work very closely to the mental health providers, building hope, because I can start some of that, right? The be kind, yeah. you know, kind of look at your thinking of does your way of thinking help or hinder your progress? You know, the, all the, I should be able to, like yeah. that's not a helpful way of thinking. So I can, I can start it, but when I, I feel like the mental health um, professionals can really, really um, supplement and, and benefit people. Um, let's see, nutrition, yeah. huge. We've had several dietitians and physicians speak to our group about mind diet. You, you've talked about that with someone. Yeah and 
Also, I think there's a huge um, migraine community, right? So we've had a migraine specialist talk, not about the medications available, but really what are some lifestyle things to look at, whether it's your hydration, adding electrolytes to your hydration. Is it getting high quality blue light filtering glasses for all the screen work? Is it really taking a look at your circadian rhythm and all your could be like part of your menstrual cycle, like all those other things. So I think there's exciting other areas that could all be brought into brain injury rehab that I try to bring in. So it's a lot for, uh, (laughs) it's a lot. These, our appointments are a lot. (laughs) But we appreciate people like yourself, Melissa, who are willing to take the time and energy and effort to look into some of that stuff too. Because another thing I found inspiring about this podcast is the fact that a lot of brain injury survivors have done that themselves. They've been like, man, I am just, I'm either not getting the answer that I expected, or I just don't feel like I am getting anywhere with the answers I've gotten. So they go out and they look up themselves and they find the, like lit up my mind that I just talked to. She was talking about how migraines, especially, Mm -hmm. she was like, I'm just not getting anywhere with the migraine support that I have. So I'm going to go find out everything I can about migraine. Mm -hmm. And she says that she's found some tactics that really work for her. And so she's hopefully sharing that with other folks. Um, And then uh, along with the brain injury support group you do, you also work with kids in the community. What, Frisco Elementary? Uh, yes, and um, the Frisco camps. Okay. So I was so grateful to be invited. Um, they kind of felt like this was a good piece of their programming. So for the past few years, I go once a week to the um, adventure camps, skateboard, biking camps, and really, A, talk to the kids about what are signs and symptoms of concussion, because sometimes the counselors and the coaches don't see everything. So I kind of pitch it of like, we're all looking out for one another. And then what are some of those signs and symptoms that are just like, oh, I should tell an adult. So we talk about what is a concussion. I bring in my model of the skull and brain. And then we talk about just general safety, how to make good choices for ourselves. Talk about that whole progression and really learning from our coaches, um, listening to our bodies, you know, and it's, And then it's been nice because I see the kids over and over again throughout the summer and over the years, and you can tell they're they're understanding the language. Each year, you know, they take a little bit more from the talk than the year before. And I like to just tell them, hey, you are learning brand new information. I didn't learn this as a kid. Your parents probably didn't learn this as a kid, and things have changed. So when you make a choice, to wear a helmet while you bike, where maybe you see other people not wear helmets, or you see um, maybe some adults not wearing a helmet in the skate park, you might have a better understanding of why. Mm -hmm. We also do like proper helmet fits. So I make sure I I fit all the straps and make sure, you know, tighten the the little boa, in the back so make sure they've got good helmet fits too yeah and it's funny you bring that up because i mean i personally sure my mom always harped on me about the helmet but um ah cool kids don't wear helmets these days the cool kids do wear helmets Mm -hmm. i i remember going out and riding around with some ski club kids again when i was doing the sports editor thing and um there are you know things that they would not leave at home they would not leave home their skis their boots poles and their helmets It's just one of the it's things that they always, it it's just part of the, it's part of the outfit. Yeah. It's part of the uniform. And just yeah. say, this is brand new information. So we're so thankful that you get to be, you know, getting to learn this and this will help you. Like when you go visit family in another part of the country, you know, you have now 
kind of a new outlook yeah. and kind of so I'm hoping that's with the youth um, that it'll just become part of the culture right and really this this cha- not changing the culture but really seeing that there was a culture of like go big or go home you know sending it always big but can we add in a layer of I can go big but I'm going to make a good choice for myself yeah. And hopefully it doesn't take a a massive injury for them to realize, you know, maybe I do got to uh, mitigate that risk a little bit more than I did. Don't pull a fill. (laughs) Just just avoid the way the the route that I took all together and then go out and show me up anyway. Because I know all those little kids, they all do. Oh, man. It's it's still so much um, fun to watch, you know, the the progression from the outside and see that, yeah, kids are... um, they're going big, they're going huge, but they're keeping it safe at the same time. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And Melissa, thank you so much for what you do with all the kids, too. Oh, thank you for having me. And just always excited to talk about, you know, all the growth that we've had as a community and um, really proud as, as a community member. Yeah, and, and I love hearing, too, the, um, the connection between OT and TBI, because as far as you know, there's not too many other people doing that sort of work. We're bringing that into occupational therapy. Right, and having a very specific, you know, specialty for an outpatient clinic that sees tons of orthopedic injuries. You know, why not add that extra service so we're really treating the whole person? Absolutely. Well, loved having you in here. Melissa Volker with Avalanche Physical Therapy up here in Summit County, Colorado. Um, but you guys got offices. Are you just in Summit or do you, are you elsewhere? We have offices in Frisco, Breckenridge, and Silverthorne. Okay, great. But um, yeah, we, we, when you're going through your own PT or your own uh, post-injury rehab, yeah, just ask your OT, hey, what else could I be doing about brain injury or, or any of these other things like Melissa was talking about? Some good questions to get started on and, well, some good questions for that professional to also maybe follow up on themselves. Um, So thanks again for being in here, Melissa. Great to have you in here. Thank you. Thank you.